Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of XYZ. XYZ Reflections from Early Childhood Education Professionals is brought to you by the Delaware Institute for Excellence in Early Childhood. We're so excited for you to listen to this episode. We got the opportunity to sit down with our very own Delaware Institute for Excellence in Early Childhood Quality Improvement Specialist, Allison Keough. Allison has been in the field of early childhood for many years and has had a variety of experiences in different states across the U.S. She shared her journey with us and her insights on protecting early childhood. We had a great conversation with Allison and can't wait for you to hear it. And so without further ado, here's Allison Keough. Welcome to XYZ Reflections from Early Childhood Education Professionals. I'm Irene Ash, and with me today is Megan Palante, our guest host. Hey, Meg. Hi, everyone. I'm Megan. I'm a quality improvement specialist with our home-based child care team, and I'm so excited to be with you guys today. And so we are really excited to have our very own Delaware Institute for Excellence in Early Childhood Quality Improvement Specialist. Allison Kehoe. Well, that was a mouthful, right? Allison comes to us with lots of experience in the early childhood field, and we're so excited to have her here today. Hey, Allison. Hi, thank you so much for having me today. It's great to be here. Awesome. So can you start by telling us a little bit about your early childhood background and your experience in the field prior to joining us here at the Institute? Yeah, I would love to share some experiences with you about my work in early childhood. I was really lucky enough to start off in high school with a placement in a work-study program with a Montessori program, and I had spent a lot of my young youth babysitting and doing church camp, but that was kind of my real first formal experience, and I had a wonderful director and really learned a lot about early childhood through that placement during the year. I would go to school in the morning and then go in the afternoon to work at this Montessori school. I think the big things I took out of that experience were the individualization for children and the amount of skill that they really had and the things that they could do. So they were very focused on children were cutting their own bananas and washing their dishes and, you know, cleaning mirrors. And they had a lot of experience materials available for the children. And the other really big thing that came out of that was Montessori really embedded observation into the job from the beginning. And so I learned how to just sit back and watch what was happening and to record what the children were doing. And that really has stuck with me for all these years because that was kind of how I started. I was able to move into working with a military child care program when my husband and I got stationed in California. My husband was a United States Marine, so pretty proud of that. And so I worked in that system. I taught college courses in CDA, child development associate classes, and in early childhood classes in general. And that was a great rewarding experience. You're working with young teachers and being able to kind of share best practices and model what we really wanted in early childhood. And I also was able to run the early childhood lab school for Arizona Western College, the Catherine A. Watson Child Development Learning Lab. And in that process, we went from a one classroom temporary building that had been there for 30 years, and we built a state-of-the-art facility through funding that became available. And so I worked with architects, and we talked through the process, and we really designed a really thoughtful, intentional early childhood program. So we went from that one little classroom to five classrooms, 
and we brought in infant toddler care. So we went from infant toddler preschool. We had an adult classroom on site. So students were in the lab school learning about early childhood. And then we had all the teachers coming in and doing their hours and, you know, observing and checking out the center. I also, because it was a brand new program, we created and went to the whole NA National Association for the Education of Young Children accreditation process. And so that was a fantastic experience. It was a lot of work. I learned a lot about writing policies and procedures, but it was fantastic. And so that was a really great experience. And then just have kind of stayed involved in the field in many different ways through the years. Awesome. And so you had mentioned Head Start. And so ironically, your role now, tell us a little bit about kind of your experience with Head Start then and what you're doing now and how it relates to your current position. Yeah, so I kind of stumbled into Head Start. Again, my husband was a Marine, so we moved to Arizona. I stumbled into a migrant and seasonal Head Start program down on the border in Arizona in Yuma and didn't know anything about Head Start at the time, but they were posting for positions. And I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. So I applied and they hired me. And little did I know that it was almost a completely Spanish speaking program. And I had had smatterings of Spanish, but I really was a little overwhelmed my first day. But the staff were so friendly and really it turned into one of my favorite experiences. I was an education specialist. So I got to work in the office part of the time and order supplies and spend money, which was kind of fun for me at that point. And then I also got to be in the classrooms and work with teachers and come and share knowledge. And I got to do training. And so it was like a really nice position. Learned a lot about the migrant culture. And it was kind of my first real look into families who were experiencing trauma and, you know, coming out of poverty and the idea of working with a family and not just a child. And mm-hmm. so really having to do those wraparound services, it taught me so much about how important that is. Like, you know, really working with the family along with the child is what's going to help make success. And so it was a great experience. It was a cultural experience. Mm-hmm. I moved then to Colorado and was able to start up one of the second cohort for Early Head Start with a brand new program. And so we kind of, we worked through that in Denver. And then I ended up going back to Arizona and working with the migrant program again as an ed coordinator. So then I was kind of statewide and really got to know a lot about Arizona and a lot about the state and the culture. So that was a great experience working. And Head Start has stayed near and dear to me. I think that idea of two-generation care and working with the families and The importance of teacher education, Head Start was a trailblazer really in early childhood and having teachers get qualified and that ongoing training and looking at ratios and, you know, kind of that whole, what is quality in early childhood and why is it important and what difference does it make? And it really makes a difference when you can have smaller ratios and qualified teachers and the whole family service piece of what we did. So that was a great experience. And it carries into my work today with the state-funded programs because they are doing a version of the Head Start model. And so it's great to see that two-generation model continuing in the state of Delaware. And that really that quality work with children and families is really important. Awesome. So you know, our season topic is the workforce crisis, right? So you had mentioned how Head Start 
you know, trains teachers and supports them, you know, in the field. How is that impacting your work today with the Head Start programs? Obviously, the workforce crisis is happening. <laughs> it's definitely a not only a statewide issue, but it's a national issue. And programs are really struggling with finding quality staff and retaining quality staff. I think in working with the state funded programs and in working as a quality improvement specialist, what I'm seeing is that real importance of the quality teachers. And so programs are really investing in hiring and training people more than they might have been doing in the past as the focus. So there, you know, we're getting a lot of younger teachers, a lot of less experienced teachers. And so there's really been a shift in how we're training and the importance of like orientation processes and how you're teaching teachers how to teach and really creating more supports in the classroom because that's our reality is that we, you know, that's kind of what we're experiencing as a field. And so definitely have been seeing that work, which does come out of the Head Start background as well. You know, you take a teacher where they are and you help them move forward into where they can be. So that's been a big impact, I think, statewide and nationwide as far as working with teachers right now. There's also a lot of work happening to support teachers and really looking at how do you support a teacher and what does that really look like? And it's beyond a lot of programs that I talk to are really focused in on that family feel and creating that sense of community within the center and really helping teachers to feel like they belong and to value what they're bringing to the center and to realize that they really are the backbone of our work. And without teachers, we don't do our work. And so I think programs have really, through this sense of community, they're really looking at ways to support teachers that are meaningful, even things from like providing snacks and water during the day, making sure teachers are getting breaks, creating not just a staff lounge with a cold table and a microwave, you know, for people to go have lunch, but they're really looking at some really innovative things now, like providing more Zen rooms where teachers can go relax, put there's a massage chair. They have puzzles. Teachers can work on puzzles while they're on their break. There's opportunities to listen to music if they want to. Some of them have like little Zen sand gardens. I mean, there's some really fantastic work happening around that. So it's not just you get a break, but it's can you really detach and fill your bucket again before you go back in the classroom? And that's been a really great addition, I think, to what we're doing for teachers right now in the field. I like that you've kind of found a silver lining in that, you know, when we look at this workforce crisis, you know, it's making us really think about what we need to do for our teachers and how we need to you know, just provide for them and care for them. And, you know, you talked about meeting teachers where they are and really building that community. And, you know, this workforce crisis has kind of had us really take a hard look at that and, you know, the kind of environment we want to cultivate in our early childhood workforce. And I think that that's, you know, a nice silver lining to that. So, yeah. And I think it's, again, giving us a challenge, but it's also giving us opportunities to really think about what teachers need and for many years, there was kind of an expectation that teachers should and had to work on weekends and they shouldn't have to work on the evenings and that they were just working. And when they left, that's when they had to continue every their own education and do those things. And 
I think programs are also looking at ways to support teachers to gain professional development while they're at work and providing technology for them to do that. They're looking at what the challenges are that teachers are facing in the classroom. And, you know, we know right now challenging behaviors are a big need that, you know, a big thing that teachers are experiencing in the classroom. And so programs that I'm working with have really been thoughtful about that and are providing some professional development opportunities around how to work with children with challenging behaviors. But they're also attaching coaching and mentoring in the classroom. There's a lot more work right now with mental health consultants and having them go in and support teachers in their daily practice and that real time kind of, you know, working with teachers to give them practical skills that they can use after they've talked about the theory. And so it gives teachers support, somebody to bounce things off of and really create changes in their classroom that they agree with and that they want to do, which again, makes them more willing to continue those. And so I think Programs have been much more, I don't want to say sympathetic, but much more empathetic about what's happening and realizing that in order to keep our teachers and to help them become better teachers, we really need to provide those supports in the classroom because then they will feel more confident in their work and they'll provide stronger classrooms and it's better for the children and the families and they're more likely to stay when they're feeling successful in a classroom. So I love, love, love the focus on, you know, we always, you know, what do the children need? What do the children need? But the focus on what the educators need and what those teachers need on a daily basis and providing them that Zen space, providing them with the mental health services to be able to deal with the challenging situation and also, you know, giving them time to do something nice for themselves. Like in this field, we don't often have that time to to give ourselves. So, oh gosh, I remember, you know, being in the classroom myself and, you know, we would have one hour lunch break and that was it. There wasn't like a 15 minute break or a 10 minute break. And, you know, if we had to go to the bathroom, we had to wait for a floater to come get us out of the classroom. So such a great turnaround and I guess mindset of what, you know, educators need has just been phenomenal. So Thinking about, you had mentioned mental health, their successes around mental health in the classroom, building the classroom community. You had touched on other successes, you know, that you've seen throughout the years in your various settings. Can you think of any other successes or anything that's working right now for the programs that you've been going in? I think something really exciting that's going on right now is multiple funding sources. There's been a lot of changes in the state of Delaware in funding and the creation of these early childhood state-funded programs that are encompassing infant-toddler care now, and they're encompassing preschool, and there's also the purchase of care for families that qualify, and their programs are really looking at creative ways to be able to kind of braid those funds together to provide extended hours for children whose parents are working and to provide services year-round versus, you know, part year, and really looking at creative ways to be able to provide those services in our communities that families need to be successful. And so I think it's exciting to see people putting those funding sources together and then including children who might be funded through the early childhood state-funded seats 
and also some children in Head Start and some children whose parents are paying tuition and other children who are in purchase of care and kind of that blending of families and children in the program that really creates quality. I think that ties in when you talked before about the work you did where you felt like it was more holistic involving the families, you know, really thinking about some of these state funded initiatives and how they really do work to support the family as a whole. Like you said, extending hours and things like that, it kind of ties in that piece that you mentioned that was so important to you in your work previously. Yeah. And I think I learned a lot about that when I was working in Colorado with Catholic Charities Mm -hmm. as an executive director of early childhood. And we had a lot of different funding sources and having to put all of those together. And we provided services in different models. So we had a home-based program and we had part-day programs and we had full-day, full-year programs. And we worked to create our own scholarship programs for children who didn't quite qualify or we didn't have enough seats so we could still get them into the program. And we created a lot of really unique opportunities for our families around mental health. We created counseling offices at each one of our centers inside where families could come and have counseling there. And so we got a lot more response from families and a lot more follow-up with families who needed that because they were already connected to the center. And we did a lot of work with homeless families, which I'm hearing a lot more about here in Delaware recently. There seems to be either more recognition of it or higher numbers of homeless children and really thinking about how to find those families and how to get those children into the program and really provide supports and services for them to be able to be successful. And even people are starting to, you know, partner with school districts with their bikini vento coordinators and thinking about they might have siblings in elementary school and, you know, how can we kind of work with the family more cohesively. So that's been happening, which is exciting as well. And that pulls in that community piece as well. For years, we've always talked a lot about making sure that our programs are, you know, represented in the community and are are pulling in those community resources. And I think that, you know, those were some really nice examples of that and how that can really make a difference for families. And, you know, having those supports that are there, not just for the children, but also for the parents, for the families, and pulling in those community organizations is a really cool way to do that. Yeah, and I think I pull from my military background and having moving around a lot and not necessarily being close to my own family physically and creating those support systems, you know, on the bases where we moved and really that idea of peer support. You know, we called them our mom's groups back then, but you know, there's a whole variety of what that can look like, but mm-hmm. the, really the importance of connecting parents with other parents so that when your four-year-old is starting to, you know, stamp their feet yeah. and say no a lot more yeah. and they go, yeah, my son's doing that too. And you go, oh, it's normal. Like this is part of life. Yeah. And I have a core group of friends. There's four of us that were in Okinawa, Japan together for three years. And between us, we had 15 children. So we created our mom's cohort. Yeah. <laughs> and that was back in 1992. And we are all still friends Aww. today. And we connected through, we, my, one of them connected us through Google way back when, and we have stayed in contact and we have been through the ins and outs of parenthood so for years. Uh, in fact, I just went to a wedding 
of one of the little boys that we used to, <laughs> that's part oh, of the group. So, but really that sense of community connection for young families, because a lot of families are no longer living close to their right. families and okay. how important it is to have other people to talk about what's happening with your kids. So on the community piece, what types of things are you seeing happening in centers around that community piece and or bringing families together? And also, do you see any of the quality improvement funds going towards that piece? Right now, the funding is kind of really focusing in on teacher retention and those opportunities for families in the state. However, Again, directors are recognizing that when teachers are staying late to attend family functions or they're out doing family conferences and doing those home visits, and they're really thinking about that support and looking at ways to compensate that time for teachers, whether it's through overtime pay or providing childcare stipends while they're, you know, out in the evening. They're looking at, you know, ways to provide subs so that the teachers can have some time off if they're going to be late. So they're looking at a lot of different ways to support teachers to be able to support the families. And as we come out of COVID and all of the shutdowns and all of the limitations on what we can do socially, and particularly in our centers, you know, where we kind of lost that piece of early childhood. And so programs have been working really hard to bring those things back and to get families back into the center. And I hear over and over again how excited the families are when they come to a family event and how everybody's kind of motivated because everybody's excited to be there and to see each other and to be creative and do all of those activities again. And so that's another focus of what people are working on right now is, you know, getting back to whatever was normal, right? Right. (laughs) Normalcy. Yes. So it's so important to have that connection with those families and also supporting the staff, which is what I, again, this is truly it's just a shift in mindset, right? So yeah. just making sure that we are compensating our educators for all that they do. And then, you know, being able to connect them with the families and build those strong relationships sounds just wonderful. And I, I love to hear that those things are happening. And Allison, I love, you know, hearing your story and, and your history of what's led you to here and just you know, all those different pieces woven into the work that you're doing now. You know, you talked about taking pieces of Montessori and Head Start and just, you know, taking those experiences from the previous work that you've done and using them all in what you're doing for us with the Institute. And I think that that is really special that, you know, you've been able to take so many of these great experiences and bring them into the programs that you go into. And, you know, you bring such a a diverse experience <laughs> and level of expertise. And it's it's really, our programs are really lucky to have you to work with. Oh, thank you. So before we wrap up, tell us your view on why it's so important to view early childhood as a journey, not a race, and the importance and the role of play. Yeah, so that's kind of, when I think about early childhood and my role in the field, as I have gone through all of my experiences, I really feel really strongly about protecting early childhood and the importance of children being children and having a variety of experiences and using their senses and really allowing children to learn the joy of learning and 
they learn that through play. And that's their job when they're little. They, they're supposed to play. Our job is to provide things that are meaningful for them to play with and a variety that involve their senses. But I really, for me, helping people realize that your role is not to have your child reading a book by the age of four, they're going to learn to read. Right. But providing all of those experiences that they need to pull on when they get into school. If you've never been to the beach, when you talk about a beach, you don't really know what you're talking about. If you've never had an opportunity to see live animals and feel their fur and hear the sounds that they make, and you know, look at their feet, and they look so different than ours. And, you know, it kind of all ties into that getting outside and getting into nature and the importance of all of those experiences for young children. And we're not in a rush. We want them to enjoy childhood. And so as I am in the field and I work with families and programs, that's been my key. I really want to make sure that we keep early childhood play-based and relationship-based and you know, allow them time to explore and have all those wonderful experiences that'll get them ready to learn when they get there. I love the phrase you use, protecting early childhood. I absolutely love that. And I think that that really ties together the work that we do and the work that you've done throughout your life. And I just think that that's a beautiful way to look at it. We want to protect that precious time in a child's life. And keep it joyful and keep it play-based. And I think that that's a really nice way to to put that together. It is. Absolutely. You're amazing. (laughs) And we loved hearing that. It's an awesome why. You know, yes, that protecting of early childhood and the children and the families and encompassing everything. Yeah, and helping teachers remember their joy and what they're doing and to be able to slow down in the classroom and really experience that time with the children, which is what brings us into the field. And so I think I'm hearing from a lot of programs too, like we want the joy back. We want the teachers to feel happy in our work because our children make us happy. (laughs) That's amazing. It's just such a great shift again in that focus on, yeah, finding the joy, enjoy those children it's fun. This is the best job in the world, right? It um, is, absolutely. So, you know, and again, providing those teachers with the supports they need is going to help them find that joy and be able to be relaxed and enjoy those children on a daily basis. So, Allison, it was so awesome having you here with us today. Yeah, it was great to hear your story and, and your why and what brought you here. And like I said, the programs are just so lucky to have you. Oh, thank you. I'm really enjoying the work with all of the administrators and the leaders in our programs. It really, it's wonderful to see the great work that's happening. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much. XYZ, Reflections from Early Childhood Education Professionals is brought to you by the Delaware Institute for Excellence in Early Childhood. College of Education and Human Development at the University of Delaware. Hosted by Irene Ash and Meg Keating. To learn more about the DIEEC and our show, please visit our website, www.dieec.udel.edu. That's www.dieec.udel.edu. 
www.udel.edu. For additional information and to stay updated, follow us on social media at U-D-D-I-E-E-C on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's U-D-D-I-E-E-C. Thank you for supporting our podcast. Until next time.